be back in uh, Grafton again. It's uh, good to see so many people out and about on a Sunday night. It's always a blessing to see uh, the church growing and uh, it's great to see that you've brought the chairs in together to get more people in. It's a wonderful blessing to see that. Um, we'll, uh, you probably need to get the uh, young people in the middle and then older people out the outside so you trap them in so you know they can't uh, run away or something. But no, it's uh, great to see. Thank you for having me back. I do say, uh, Pastor Davey said, uh, my dad is coming in a couple of weeks. So you've got the good looking version and the bloke with fresh jokes early. And uh, dad's, dad's only got three jokes anyway that you've probably heard every year for the last 10 now anyway. So uh, he, uh, he tried a couple of new ones this morning at Sunday school on our Sunday school. And uh, Mr. John can attest that they fell very flat. They were not good at all. And so uh, we are considering his, uh, his license to come as one of his characters to Sunday school and revoking that, but um, we'll see how that goes. But uh, thank you for your support of his ministry too, as, uh, as he's uh, one of his children. It's a blessing to have churches that faithfully pray for him and support him. And uh, every, every year his ministry is very complicated and very complex of travel all over the world. And to have a churches that faithfully uh, support him both financially and in prayer makes a massive difference and as someone who is sort of close and sees what happens uh, with other churches it's a rare thing a lot of churches he goes to they don't support him well and or they he turns up he does their thing and they don't think about him till he comes again so for you to pray for him and consider him regularly is, is a real blessing so first Samuel chapter 7 if you have your Bibles there first Samuel chapter 7 this was a Sunday school lesson I taught uh, a few uh, years ago and there was uh, a lot in it as I taught it to our grade six class and so I turned it into a message so there is it's a bit of a Sunday school history lesson as we go through but uh, we'll bring out some points uh, as we go through and I pray that it will be a blessing to you in first Samuel chapter 7 and let's uh, pray and commit our time to the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you that we can be in your house once again. We thank you uh, Lord that uh, there are faithful believers all over the world and Lord, it's, uh, I, I praise the Lord for Grafton, the church here and uh, there are many years of faithful service to you and the uh, Lord, the regular faces that we see is such a blessing and uh, we thank you for them. We pray now that you would uh, speak to us through the word of God, uh, challenge our hearts, encourage us, um, convict us, whatever we need, dear Lord, this evening and uh, may the word of God be big and powerful. And may you bless now our time as we dig into God's word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, as many of you would know, 1 Samuel is quite an interesting book. It covers a lot of topics and a lot of what happens in uh, the early life of, of King David and, and, well, throughout his life. And I quite love uh, the judges as we look through them in, in the book of Judges and into 1 Samuel with Samuel being the last judge. And, and all that they went through as, uh, as judges of Israel. And Samuel here is getting to a point where, where he's right in the middle of his ministry. Have a look there at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7 and verse 1. And it says, And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kiriath-Jerim that the time was long. For it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. 
to understand this passage that we'll look at in a minute, I just want to rewind for the 20 years because it says there that the, for it was long, uh, for it was, the time was long, for it was 20 years. What happened 20 years ago that meant the ark got to kiriath Jerium and wasn't staying where it was supposed to? Turn back to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4 and I want to just have a look at what I've called the history to give us a background of Samuel and uh, where we get to with chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. This passage here in Samuel chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 4, is in the very infancy of uh, the ministry of Samuel. They suggest that he is around 20 years old at this stage. So just a very young man. Eli, the current judge, is a very old man. He's 98 years old, but still the judge of Israel. Um, being the judge, he was obviously the, the, the sort of one. They didn't have a king at this stage. So 98 is a pretty good effort to be still in charge of a country. I know there's a lot of people that mock nations around the world that have rulers into their, their 80s and 90s. 98 is an awful, awful old man. Like even for our date, 98 is a really good innings. In Bible times, that is really, 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 really old to get to that age. And in this story, we're not going to go through it for the sake of time. I'm just going to quickly give you a rundown. You can read it in your own times, the chapter 4, 5 and 6. Israel head out to battle their arch enemies, the Philistines. They head out and Israel cops an absolute hiding. Over 4,000 men are lost and they head back with their tails between their legs. The rulers of Israel do some soul searching to try and work out why, what happened. Why did we lose this battle? And they work it out. They decide that the reason they lost is because they didn't take the Ark of the Covenant with them. They didn't take uh, that wonderful uh, piece of... of uh, God had told Israel to make and they didn't take that with them and so they decided that is why they lost. So they sent for the ark and the ark comes with uh, Eli's son, sons, Hophni and Phinehas and again if you go through the book you know that Hophni and Phinehas were bad eggs. They were really bad eggs, really, really bad people and they brought the ark down to Israel and when it arrived Israel is excited, thinking, beauty, how good is this? We've got the ark. We are going to win this battle. It's in the bag. Israel, uh, the Philistines are gone. They get all excited. They start shouting. They start being happy. The Philistines hear this and goes, uh-oh, Israel, something's going on here. Right, we've got to stop this right now. So they get up and they decide, beauty, we're going to take Israel down. And they have, the, they have the riot act read to them that they need to toughen themselves up and be strong men. And the Philistines go out and Israel think they've got this. And what happens? Israel are absolutely slaughtered. The Bible tells us over 30,000 men are killed. Those that aren't killed flee away. They run off. The Philistines capture the ark of God. Uh, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are killed. And... They've lost everything. Israel went from thinking they had a chance this second time round to absolutely being annihilated. It's an interesting thought, this. Again, it's not the main point, but I thought about why did this happen? 
Well, it's because Israel used the covenant of God like a lucky charm. Like the, you know, the lucky rabbit's foot that some people have or their lucky necklace or their lucky undies or whatever it is. Everyone's got, a lot of people have their things, it's their lucky thing. And that's what Israel used the Ark of the Covenant as. If we take this in, we've got this battle. If we just, and it didn't work. And it's a reminder to us that Christ and our salvation is not just a lucky charm to add to our life. It's not just something that we go, oh yeah, we've got life. We can do whatever we want because we've got salvation. No, that's not what it's about. We need to be faithful with that. Israel relied on the covenant, not the God of the covenant, and they didn't have any strength. God being the ever-present help in time of trouble was not there because they were relying on the wrong thing. Well, back to our story. Upon hearing this news, Eli at 98 quite literally falls off his perch and dies, falls over backwards off off his bench. And the Ark of the Covenant now goes on a seven-month journey around uh, the Philistine nation. Initially, it was put in Ashdod. You've probably heard Ashdod mentioned in the news recently with everything that's going on in Israel. Originally, it was put in Ashdod, in the God of Dagon. And the well-known story is that they kept, they put it in there and the, the priests of, of uh, Ashdod would come back the next night, of Dagon, sorry, would come back the next day. And what had happened? The statue had fallen over. And this happened a couple of times before it actually fell over and its head came off and its, its hands came off. And they were going, uh-oh, this is, this is something wrong. And they were also, uh, wherever the, the ark went, it ended up smiting them with an incredibly painful uh, ailment. And we're told that it, it did a lap. It went from Ashdod to Gath and then from Gath to Ekron. And it, the, the Philistines had worked out that the ark in their hands, was really bad news. God was not happy and he was punishing them. So they decided that they got their priests together and decided that they would send it back to Israel. So they did. And it's really a miracle how it ended up back at a place called Beth Shemesh. It was put on a cart with the, with the, uh, the uh, animals in front and somehow it led, I'm sure God led it back to, to Israel, back to where it needed to be. Sadly, the people of Beth Shemesh in Israel were stupid and they opened the top of the ark and the Bible tells us that 50,000 of them were killed because they thought they would be smart and have a check and see what's in there and that what had happened to the Philistines wasn't a lesson to them. So when that happened, they went, right, we don't want this either and they sent it on to kiriath Jiriam. Now, I've covered about three chapters there of the Bible in about five minutes, so I hope you've followed me. But the ark, everywhere it went, caused problems because it wasn't in its rightful place. When it got to Kiriath-Jiriam, the brakes were put on and it just stayed there. I don't know why. I don't know what. We don't know why. But that's when we come to chapter 7, verse uh, verse 2, and we find that it was there for 20 years. 20 years it was there at Kiriath-Jiriam. And while that happened... All that time, Israel were under the domination of the Philistines. The Philistines ruled over them. And it took them 20 years to realize 
that there was something they could do about it. And that's the second part of the message is the revival that we see. Let's have a read of verse 2 again of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7. And it says, And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kiriath-Jerium, that the time was long, for it was 20 years. And all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. 20 years is a long time for them to turn and go back to the Lord. One uh, commentator put it this way. They had very good reason why they were lamenting. By this stage, their cities were in ruins. Their armies were defeated. They were under Philistine, uh, the, the Philistine domination, which would have included all sorts of misery and giving of their wealth and their crops and everything. They were miserable. And this was all because they turned their back on God. All because they turned away. And I love how when they start to lament, Samuel was ready with a response for them. Have a look at verse 3. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Samuel preached a one-verse message. A, a one message. Didn't need to say much. And I get the feeling he'd had 20 years working on the words that he was going to say for when Israel turned back to him. He'd spent 20 years going, how do I say this? And he didn't waste it. He told them straight up what their problem was. We read that there, that if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts and put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, they'd broken uh, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. They'd broken that. And Samuel said, that's what you've done. And he didn't hold back the punches. And I love that, that uh, like any good preacher, he didn't leave them hanging because he gave them the antidote to their sin. It says there, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. He pointed out their problem that they'd turned from the Lord. And then he pointed out what they needed to do, that they needed to turn back to God. And that... If they served him, the Lord would give them deliverance. He gave them the, the actions that they'd done wrong, what they needed to do, and the consequence if they'd fix it, which was the Lord would deliver them. As another little side thought here, I thought, uh, I love how he just hit them straight between the eyes. He didn't dance around the problem. He didn't try and go, oh, well, we, we might say this or we might say that. You know, modern day, in our modern day world, everyone's scared to tell the truth. Everyone's scared to be honest because they're worried about hurting someone's feelings or, or making someone feel bad. Or Now, yes, we have to be sensitive, but sometimes you've just got to be honest. And Samuel here took the honesty route and said, the reason you're in this spot is because of your sin. And we need to be careful when the Bible points our sin out, when a preacher gets up and points our sin out, when you're having your devotions or whatever it is that our sin is laid bare and the Holy Spirit convicts us, don't get angry at God. Fix your sin up. Don't try and argue. Don't, in the modern vernacular, become a Karen and try and decide, you know, that you're going to argue with whoever brought it up or to make a scene about this when you know full well you're the problem. 
take it on board like Israel did because uh, there are rewards to reap when we get our hearts right with God. And we see that what happened in verses 4 to 6. It says, Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. They straight away, at, after this message from Samuel, they got into fixing themselves. They put away the strange gods. They put away Balaam and Ashtaroth. And they realized that Jehovah was the one that they needed to serve exclusively. It's interesting, this is a whole other Bible study, that they gathered to Mizpah. That seems to be a, a place throughout uh, the, the nation of Israel, that it was a place of cleansing. It's used in Judges chapter 20. And it's important that this happened because for Samuel, he wanted to make sure that this was not just words that they were talking about. This was not just something they were going to do in their own house. This was something they were going to take seriously and deal with properly. So he called them together. Someone, uh, one commentator put it like this. He said, the experience of the conviction of sin proves nothing. It is our response to that conviction that demonstrates repentance. Israel responded by both putting away the bad and going after the good. They took the message on board. They got rid of the idols and turned to God. And here Samuel made public the statement of Israel. He poured out water. This was to symbolize themselves, pouring themselves out before God, emptying themselves of, of their heart before God. Why was this? To show them that they were giving themselves back to God. It was an expression of emptiness and need. Israel had finally, after over 20 years, admitted that they were not in a good place because of their sin. You know, before we go on, this reminds me of many people's lives these days. They are in a place just like Israel. They're in a place of ruin. They're in a place of uh, constant defeat. Their lives are a mess. They're, they're constantly dominated by everything else. Why is that? Because of their sin. They've turned from God or they've never known God. And they are living a hard life because of it. That message from Samuel rings true to us even today that if we prepare our hearts for the Lord and serve him only if we trust him as our saviour he will look after us Pastor Kendall preached recently at our church on his yoke is easy his burden is light which is the total opposite to what Israel were in they were, had a hard burden a hard yoke Many lives are like this, like Israel's was because of sin. Is that you? Turn back to God. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse, ye, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And then verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Just like Israel did, they poured out their heart to the Lord. The Lord was there for them. Israel had revival in their life. 
And as we were about to see, that gave them an incredible victory and it'll be the same for your life. If you pour out your heart to the Lord to be cleansed from your sin, you can have the same victory in your heart, in your life. For Israel, having poured out their heart, all of a sudden, almost immediately, their heart was tested. And that's the, second, uh, the third point I want to look at this evening is the battle. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 7. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb, and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. Having met at Mizpah and poured their heart out to the Lord, the Philistines see this, and they think beauty. We've had 20 years of Israel being scattered around and under our dominion. Let's teach them a lesson. They're all together. Let's just show them who's boss. And so they do. They get together and decide that they're going to take Israel down. Now picture the, uh, I suppose imagine the picture here that, that uh, is mentioned in the book here. You've got Israel who's come together, not for war, but to give their heart to the Lord. They wouldn't have come prepared for a fight. They wouldn't have come prepared for anything. So when you hear your, uh, those who you were dominating you were on their way to subdue you again and put you back in your place, you're going to be rather scared. They've got all the weapons. For the last 20 years, most likely they wouldn't have allowed you to have weapons. They would have taken your, your spears and your swords and most likely if you needed a knife sharpened, you would have had to get permission off them. And so Israel wouldn't have had anything to fight for. So you can understand them being scared. But it's great to see that they learnt their lesson because we saw that this time, instead of crying to the ark, they cried to the God of the ark. It says there in verse 8, And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us. They realised last time they'd, they'd called on the box. This time they needed the Lord of the ark. And we're told that Samuel takes this and he does exactly that he goes to the Lord he gives the Lord a burnt offering and cries unto the Lord for Israel and we see that a miracle takes place verse 10 and Samuel was and as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering the Philistines drew near to to battle against Israel but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day and the Philistines were discomforted uh, and discomforted them and were smitten before Israel and the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came to Bethkar. And Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Sheen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. The picture is here that Israel are all together. The Philistines are closing. They're but hours away. And when an army's coming, a big army like that, they would have seen them. They were scared. They cry to the Lord. Samuel goes and offers a burnt offering. And God steps in. 
because of their humble hearts, because they'd called in on the Lord, God stepped in. And God thundered with a great thunder. Now, I do not know what this was like. But what I do know is that thunderstorms don't normally frighten battle-hardened soldiers. There's been a few storms around in Coffs lately. I don't know if you've had any up here. Very rarely, I don't think in the last, since I'm an adult, have I heard a clap of thunder that has scared me. You hear them and you go, wow, that was loud. But I don't tremble at the, the thought of thunder and lightning. But such was the storm that God sent. These battle-hardened soldiers were scared. It is a miracle. There's no other way to describe it. And God gave deliverance. The Philistines took off. And Israel were able to chase them and defeat them. And we're told in verse 13 that so the Philistines were subdued and they came no more into the coast of Israel and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Israel here had had an amazing victory because they turned to the Lord and the Lord had given them the victory. But the main point that really stood out to me in this passage was the next couple of verses. Because Israel had just had these wonderful things pop up, an incredible victory. Samuel had been there and overseen them. I think for Samuel, it would have been an amazing feeling. As the prophet of God, for 20 years, Israel had wanted nothing to do with, with, uh, with God. And then all of a sudden, they turned, the whole nation turns back to God. I could just imagine what Pastor Kendall would feel if the whole of Grafton suddenly turned up to church. That would be, as a, as a pastor, Pastor Davies could, just that would be amazing. The whole of New South Wales decides that they, the whole of Australia, after preaching for 20 years, they turn back to the Lord. But it got me wondering, what was Samuel doing in the meantime? Because those things are amazing. Whole country revival. Miracles that allowed your nation to defeat your arch enemy and give you freedom. Amazing things. But what happened for the 20 years leading up to that? Well, we're told. Have a look at verse 15 uh, of chapter 7 there. It says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel, to Gilgal, to Mizpah, and judged Israel in those places and his, and his return was to Ramah for there was his house and there he judged Israel and there he built an altar unto the Lord. What did he do for those 20 years? He did the circuit from his home in Ramah to Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah back to Ramah. These towns are about 50 k's apart so I suppose it would be the equivalent of going from here to Yamba, Yamba to Woolai, Woolai to Wulgulga, Wulgulga back to Grafton. Sort of that sort of circuit. Every year, just did that circuit, being the judge of Israel. Now, we think that the judges of Israel had a bit of a glamorous job. You know, we think of Samson, the great judge. We, we think of uh, Ehud. We think of Gideon, these ones who'd had amazing miracles. 
But realistically, much of their life was the boring, mundane part of life. They would just go round to these towns. He was the judge after all of Israel. If there was a major dispute, he would deal with those major disputes. They would come to him. And for 20 years and more, that's what he did. From Ramah to Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, back to Ramah. Year after year, he would do this. He would deal with land disputes and money matters and, and personal disputes. Yes, there were spiritual questions, but probably pretty boring, mundane sort of job. And also, you could imagine preaching the same message for 20 years and no one's taking heed to it. Well, you think no one's listening to you because the, the country's not turning back. And he did this his whole life, we're told. For somewhere, his ministry was somewhere in around 30 to 50 years. He did this, at the very least, till Saul became king. From Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah back to Ramah. Probably the same route, visiting the same towns. Probably dealing with the same people's issues over and over and over again. And this challenged me because have you ever felt your life becomes a bit of a circuit? You just go round and round, doing the same thing. We go to the same job, go to the same place. We, you know, we've got our same group of friends. We come to the same, same thing and we deal with this, often deal with the same physical problems or you know, difficulties. It feels like we're on a bit of a circuit of life. And spiritually, this can become even greater because we can move houses, but we'll come to the same church. We'll change jobs but we'll keep the same ministries. And we can get into a bit of a circuit just going round and round and round. And, you know, we've got to be careful when we get that because if we're not careful, we'll burn ourselves out. We will end up in a position where we're just doing that for the sake of doing it or we're doing it not with the right heart. And I think Samuel gives us a few pointers from this short story about some things that we can learn to make our circuit of our life better. The first one is we need to be, fa be thankful. Sorry, be faithful, not thankful. I don't know where I got that one. Be faithful. Samuel did his circuit every year from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, back home to Ramah. Every year he would do that circuit. And he judged Israel faithfully his whole life. He is remembered as one of the great judges of Israel because he did this faithfully. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Let a man so give account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Samuel's ministry was not judged based on those 20 years of, of people not turning back to the Lord. Why not? Because he was faithful. Those rewards would come as he faithfully did his ministry. The Bible is very clear on this, that faithfulness is the quality that God looks for. Because it's not generally that God talks about the size or the quantity of ministries. He talks about the faithfulness, the faithfulness of our service, the faithfulness of our spiritual walk, the faithfulness of how we deal with others. Samuel judged people faithfully his whole life. Could that be said of you? 
that you've faithfully done it? Or are you hopping on and hopping off as it suits you and, you know, you'll, you'll do a bit and then, no, you've got to be faithful. So the second thing that Samuel did is that Samuel was ready. For 20 years, he faithfully taught the people, but there was no great revival. There was no great turning back to God. But we saw from the passage when they called out to the Lord, he was ready. And we too must be ready. First Peter chapter five, uh, 3, verse 15, we know this verse well. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Samuel was ready. He was not just sitting on his laurels, sitting back going, oh yeah, something will happen maybe one day, but I don't really care. I'll get to that when I get to that. No, he was ready and prepared. When the time came, he got it dealt with. Now, I'm a bit of a cricket tragic. I uh, love my cricket, love watching cricket, and uh, I don't know about any of you. You're, you're a big cricket. Not, not so much. I suppose now that uh, the college cricket game is gone, it's, you know, lost its luster. But I played cricket for a few seasons. I don't play now. But when I played cricket, normally my position was in the outfield because I could run around all day and the older fellas would prefer to sit in the slips and, you know, just wait for the ball to come to them and walk from one end to the other. But what happens when people are in slips? You know, they get ready, they get ready for the catch, the bowler bowls and then, you know, nothing happens. So they go back. And throughout the day, there can be hundreds of balls bowled, nothing comes to the slips. Invariably what happens, the one time someone edges it and it goes to the slips, they're not ready. They're sitting there and they're, they're talking to the, someone else and, oh, the, the keeper's, oh, it's ball, oh, oh, hang on, the ball goes past, missed. They could have got a wicket, they miss it. Why? They weren't ready. Samuel was ready. Even when he was tired, even when he'd been going around the same circuit for a long period of time, he was ready. And we must be ready because we don't know when the Lord is going to need us to step up to the mark. We don't know when the next pastor of the church is going to come to our Sunday school class, when the next missionary is going to come to our youth groups. We don't know that. We must be faithful and ready to minister to them. Otherwise, we'll lose the chance and that person will slip through. Samuel was ready. Are you ready to share salvation, to help someone have revival in their life? Are you ready for that? And the final thing Samuel did is that he pressed on. Samuel never stopped. We're told that for, it says for, he went year to year in circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and judged Israel in those places. Every year he did that. He kept doing it when he was tired. It's easy to get stale, go through the motions while we're on our circuit of life. Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 say, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here said that he didn't just go through the motions. He didn't just trudge along. That word there, it says, I press towards the mark. 
has the idea of pursuing in a hostile manner. Imagine the kids out in the ground playing tag. Do the kids still play tag at school? Do you still play tag at school? Yeah? When you're playing tag, unless you're on the concrete, of course, and you've been roused at by the teachers, if you're playing tag, you don't just jog along. Kids don't just jog along. They're running with all their might to try and tag the other person. They're running spiritedly. They're putting all their effort in. They may even dive to tag someone. That's the idea of pressing towards the mark. We must press on in our life. We must put the energy in to keeping going, not just dawdling, not just, you know, just wandering. We need to be pressing. I love my nephews. They live, I live across the road from my nephews now. There's, there's four of them. Most of you would have seen the older ones at camps and stuff by now. And they're 14 and down to seven, I think, or eight. And especially the younger ones, when they get teenagers, they get a bit too cool for school. You know how that goes. But especially the younger ones, everything's exciting. If I go out the front and say to the youngest one, hey, let's go play handball. Oh, yeah, let's go play handball. Let's go play. If I go, let's go play cricket. Yeah, 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 I want to play cricket. Why? Everything's exciting. They're putting energy into life. Now, I know as we get older, that, that becomes a bit harder because our energy wanes and a lot more things start to hurt when we don't know what we've done to make those things hurt. Sometimes it's, you know, we do something reckless like we get out of bed or something and our back goes and I understand that. But I want my Christian life to be like a child, that I'm excited, that I'm pressing. I'm putting the effort and the energy in to not make my circuit mundane. And when, like a child, we realise that, we also realise how big God is. And we realise how big God is to help us through our circuit. When we have that childlike faith that we just trust God. And so our energy goes in and then God helps us along. So where are you on life circuit at the moment? For some of you, you've probably been on life circuit longer than I've been alive. And that's a wonderful blessing. Keep on the circuit. That doesn't mean your circuit of life is done. You might have to change a little bit where you go and how far you go, but that doesn't mean you're done. Are you on life circuit at all? Are you living for the Lord at all? Have you trusted the Lord? Or is your life like Israel, an absolute wreck? Make today the day that you make your heart right with the Lord but how's your faithfulness going? Are you faithfully doing your circuit? Are you ready as you travel this circuit? Are you, are you studying the scriptures? Are you reading the Bible? Are you you're praying? Are you putting the effort into being ready so that when the question is asked, you can jump at it? And are you pushing on? Are you not just dawdling doing the bare minimum to get by? Are you putting the effort in? The Lord will help you along as you do this and, and the miracles will come. As, as we saw in Samuel's life, 20 years, not much happened, but because he remained faithful, when the time came, he was ready. May we be ready. May we be faithful, ready, 
and pressing as we go through our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this lesson uh, from the, uh, the, the Judge Samuel. We thank you that, uh, Lord, he faithfully served you even when it seemed uh, life wasn't going anywhere. May we faithfully serve you uh, all the days of our lives. May we be pressing, may we be ready uh, to give an answer to anyone that asks us. And, and Lord, if anyone doesn't know Christ as their saviour, if anyone's life is in ruin like Israel, may they call upon the Lord today. May they make things right so they're ready to serve you. Bless now the rest of our meeting as we close in your name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kendall.